Whipping you up in a little square right here. Okay, Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. Okay, here we are. I'm ready. All right. I'm ready. Let's cool. do it. All right. Should I do the intro? Go for it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. It's a real special one today because we are going to be talking about mucho, mucho amor. So much glamour, so much character, so much love. So much love. Mucho, mucho amor is a documentary about Walter Mercado. If you don't know Walter Mercado, I didn't know. Oh, really? How exciting. This was an introduction. Basically, he is a he's a personality right he's a personality he is from puerto rico he's born and raised in the countryside of puerto rico and he became this tv personality he was this very Mm -hmm. bright beautiful dancer kind of queer vibes wore makeup wore beautiful outfits and he was an astrologist yeah he was an astrologist he started in theater he moved his way into telenovelas and that is where he was found in a very old hollywood kind of way where someone just pointed a camera at him and was like tell me about astrology and he just puts on this show and the manager of the studio comes running down and is like get that man his own show every day he's gonna have 15 minutes and from there he met his manager and he made him into the worldwide known figure that this documentary focuses on and walter mercado recently passed away yes very which i don't hannah's so excited about it (laughs) kidding (laughs) i was like that is not what i meant i know i that was like an exhausted like yes like you just he just came into your life he died like while this movie was in post-production yeah which is crazy what a I'm so glad that the story was captured because I personally grew up with Walter Mercado on the TV all the time. I was wondering. You had to. Of course, right? My family's always watching Latin stuff on the Mm -hmm. TV and he was just a part of the news, basically. (laughs) Yeah. He was huge. He was huge on the TV and... I remember watching him as a kid and as a child, I was like, is that a woman? Is that a man? Mm -hmm. Because he's beautiful. He's got gorgeous cheekbones and he wears lots of jewelry. (laughs) So much jewelry. So much. These beautiful outfits. And he's just this very sweet, loving, feminine character. Yeah. One thing real quick from the documentary, he's showing off all his jewelry. (laughs) Do you remember? Oh my gosh, yes. And he's like, this piece is very humble. And it's like this giant (laughs) ring. And he did it another time where I think the director was like, did you just say humble when he was talking about this giant geode bracelet? Yeah, that had these huge, beautiful stones on it. And it is anything but humble. (laughs) Maybe to him, it's humble. (laughs) Compared to some of his beautiful robes and capes that he wore. Yeah, He's like, if you think about it, it's just a rock quite humble yeah if you think about it it's only showing on this part of my wrist (laughs) it's not all over my body (laughs) yeah that was just one moment that I immediately had to bring up that's honestly exactly where my mind went to so if you didn't bring it up I had to bring up that moment it was so good so the documentary gives us an introduction to Walter Mercado 
where he was born. He tells a story of him just being a kid and being out on the farm or playing around and he found a bird on the ground, right? Yeah. And it looked mm-hmm. like it was struggling to survive and so he prayed over it and it came back to life. Yeah, I wonder if he actually performed CPR because he made a blowing motion toward his hand as he was explaining the story and I was like, did he give this bird mouth to mouth? Or was he just giving it a little breeze to gently wake it or something? Hannah... It's magic. Whatever it was, it was magic and it worked. (laughs) Mind you, he's a child at this point, but he's clearly always been this beautiful, spiritual, flowery, sensitive person. Yeah. And so everyone in the town after that, they were like, "Uh, can Walter pray over me? And so he started (laughs) praying over people. And that was just part of his childhood. People would come and just want to touch him as if he were some religious relic or something and who's to say he's not because i'm not a very (laughs) religious person i'm working on spirituality and i feel like after watching that i was like i get it i believe i believe in something a little more i don't know what it is but i believe in something a little bit more when the documentary first started out with that story i was just like Uh, I got a little uncomfortable, honestly, Mm -hmm. because I've seen other documentaries go into people seeing other humans as higher Mm -hmm. than being human. And it's uncomfortable in certain contexts. And I'm, I don't know if I'm ever truly comfortable with humans exalting other humans like that. It kind of reminded me of my mom because witchcraft and these spiritual experiences ghosts and whatever is a big part of latin culture at least mm-hmm. i think it still is now which is are making a comeback baby <laughs> it's so weird because we would watch walter mercado but when harry potter came out my mom was like i don't want you watching harry potter because <laughs> yeah. it's demonic and i was like whatever mom i'm gonna watch harry potter <laughs> But at the same time, she was super open to Walter Mercado's take on the occult and Yeah, but she's like, I don't like that Voldemort guy. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, good mom, because otherwise I'd be scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're right. He's pretty damn evil. But anyways, (laughs) yeah, back to what were we talking about? But throughout the movie, he never claimed to be any more powerful than any other human He was just so in touch with nature and his spirituality. I don't know if I would call him a nature boy, but I would say that he was certainly spiritual and well-meaning, it seemed. And I like that they had one moment where they sort of addressed this, you know, when he would, for example, promote his hotline for helping. And he's like, I know that I have all of the best psychics working for my hotline. And then the lady who was talking about it was like, well, yeah, that was baloney. It could have been literally anyone answering the phone line. Mm -hmm. But she did go on to say that with all the business matters, he was certainly more away from that he was not a business person he had no interest in business yeah his sole interest was his image his connection to his audience he's an artist he's a true artist he was an individual who got to focus solely on being himself and honestly what a blessing yeah it did turn around and 
hurt him eventually because he was taken advantage of by mm-hmm. his manager or one of mm-hmm. his managers at the time who no spoiler but he screws him over with a contract that no spoiler but this is exactly what happens <laughs> sorry that is a spoiler there's always spoilers this whole podcast is spoilers this whole podcast is spoilers we've seen it and we're talking about it so <laughs> so yeah he's taken advantage of and in a way, I feel like I get that. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to do this thing. I don't want to be a business person. But yeah. unfortunately, you got to do that dirty work. But he was yeah. just so good at literally anything but that. Mm-hmm. And he was so loving and trusting of the people that he surrounded himself with. He didn't see that people were capable of hurting him and being evil. Because yeah, why would they want to do that to him? They're his friends. Another thing in the documentary, he never said no. He was a people pleaser for sure. Yeah, they talked about that, how if he felt any kindness from you, he wanted to please you. Yeah. And I loved that they compared him to when he was a little boy who wanted love and attention and affection and he wanted to reciprocate that. And it's interesting that as a child, he experienced this feeling of being worshipped and being loved and adored by people he didn't know personally. It's interesting that that seemed to follow him into his adulthood. Yeah. He surrounded himself and he made an environment for himself where he could enjoy that for Mm -hmm. the rest of his life, which is incredible. And totally, I think, an amazing testament to his relationship with his mother. Yeah. She seemed to be this very loving and accepting person who encouraged him to be exactly who he was and told him that being different was a gift I thought that was gorgeous I know it's not super common worldwide let alone in the countryside of Puerto Rico I feel like it's just don't get in anyone's way but his mom is like no flaunt that shit you're a magical bitch go (laughs) and also they talk about how that was also able to exist in a very macho latino society yeah which still exists today but someone was talking about how when walter mercado was on the rise and at his peak until he peaked again because hey millennials Mm -hmm. but like that was when homophobia in the Latin community was more heightened than it is today. For sure. Also, he never claims to be gay or straight. He doesn't Mm -hmm. talk about his sexuality that much. There's a beautiful moment where he's like, sex, I have sex with the wind. I have sex with... (laughs) With yeah. nature, with his sexuality is like he's always having orgasmic experiences with the world around him. Oh my god. And then Kareem asked him, wait, you're not telling me you're a virgin, are you? And he said, the last one in the room, baby, yeah. or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And I was like, oh my god, that is so charming. <laughs> I know, I love him so much. So would you watch with your family and get excited to hear about all the Scorpio stuff? Because I am a Scorpio, yes. (laughs) I don't have specific memories of that. I more so remember him just being a part of what was on the TV in the background, a commercial Mm -hmm. flipping through the channel. I was like, he's just this very cool, beautiful, artistic character. I never really was super into astrology. I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, the more I live in L.A., 
the more astrology just becomes a part of your life, whether you want it to be or not. It's there. People are like, oh, you're obviously a Scorpio because of this. Or, oh, no wonder you (laughs) hang out with a bunch of Leos. And the more I'm like believing in it. That's so funny. I know you're into it. As someone who is pretty into astrology, Hannah, what did you think about that? So first of all, I was definitely surprised and elated when this big character ended up being an astrologer for the masses because I was not expecting that when I first saw you know how you scroll through on Netflix and it starts to play some trailer or whatever yeah without your consent Netflix without your consent I have to put it on mute sometimes. I know I hate it's it too much I don't like that Netflix if you're listening sorry oh wait they are listening <laughs> <laughs> we're sorry Netflix I mean, we love so much about you. Thank you so much for the access to these beautiful documentaries, but also change that one thing. So anyways, <laughs> as it was playing, I was like, okay, so is he like, for the Latino world, what Liberace was for Americans? Wait, what's Liberace again? I know the name, but he was another very flamboyant, very openly queer, but not ever defining himself as anything sexual or Mm -hmm. whatever but he was also very into glamour and he was you know larger than life and played the piano and he was kind of like before Elton John okay cool and Liberace was this dramatic more in the vein of Walter cool anyways I didn't know really what to expect and then he starts talking about astrology and I'm like hey interesting one thing I will say that I loved pointedly about the astrology is how his message was always positive yeah they talked about how he never said anything negative it was literally just a place that you went where he made you feel good and he made you feel seen which can I just say right now we need that I think that this documentary came at such a good time I highly recommend it just go watch this documentary if you're having a bad day I'm gonna give it a rewatch soon because we just need something pure like this we really needed it so thank you to the directors (laughs) and to Walter and to Walter most of all first and foremost Mm -hmm. he kept his audience as wide as possible which is why he always spread happy news and good tidings and good vibes that was the tribe he was trying to collect and he definitely did it that Mm -hmm. was really nice yeah I loved seeing that me too one thing I noticed is he was kind of the cross-section of a bunch of different things it's easy to say oh he's a bit androgynous so Mm -hmm. the crossing between the masculine and feminine for sure but It was also the religious and the mystic. It was also different cultures around the world came into his orbit. Mm -hmm. He was really this central figure to a lot of different themes, which I thought was really, really interesting. I thought so too. He read a lot about different religions and took a little bit from each religion. Yes, that was another one for sure. Which I really like that because every religion, I don't know, I don't want to get too deep into religion, but it's all the same. Right. <laughs> Something that also was really surprising was they showed clips of him being interviewed on different talk shows across Latin America and people would ask him about his sexuality and about his clothes and why he kind of was this way and he handled everything so well. Yeah. He was clearly very comfortable the way he was he was not putting on a show 
he is a show naturally right and everything seemed super genuine yeah but let's say he did just happen to be this flaming homosexual who did want to have a partner because he never had a sexual partner but if he did they talk about how it probably wouldn't have been a safe time to come out yeah and he probably wouldn't have been accepted it would have unfortunately turned into a shit show i think a lot of people feel the same way i mean not to take the limelight off of walter because never but it's about walter i feel like it's the same with liberace he never came out officially so people who were homophobic were still quote-unquote allowed to like him without stepping too far away from heteronormative whatever bullshit yeah what a blessing to have a person like that that was so worldwide i can't imagine how helpful that must have been for anyone who mm-hmm. naturally is a bright personality and loves to wear sequins and whatever you know yeah i can't imagine how great that must have been to have that character yeah. growing up and seeing them on tv i agree any person in the world who has ever told that they need to hide for whatever reason any part of themselves yeah this is an amazing amazing role model one thing i was thinking about how well he handled all of the attention he mm-hmm. seemed to really thrive off of the attention he loved it he, yeah, loved, he it. loved meeting fans and mm-hmm. seeing people he would touch people their shoulder whatever yeah. they would ask to just touch him yeah just oozing with comfort in all of these very social pressing situations and that's not true for all performers you know they have on time and they have off time but it seemed like he was always always on he was always ready to perform he always looked fabulous so that Mm -hmm. if there was ever a point that anyone should see him he looked top of his game always the documentary is showcasing his life his story of how he became walter mercado this international star And then it all leads up to a show in Miami that is a showcase of his Mm -hmm. life and his career. And they touch on how millennials love Walter Mercado. And Mm -hmm. it all leads up to the show. But by the end of it, he's old. He's in his 80s. And he's wearing these like 20-pound cloaks. He still has all of this energy. Mm -hmm. But physically, his body can only handle so much. Right. And there's this part where he's walking along with the walker and yeah the, the camera yeah. is getting him and he's like um make sure to only get from the waist up so that we don't see that he's using a walker he was so proud of his image and he didn't want that tarnished at all in any way and you know what i was thinking you know you hear a lot of somewhat depressing stories about these big star personalities that we fall in love with for whatever performance they've given but then they sort of crack over time about Mm -hmm. how much people need from them as a person yeah and I think Walter was able to sustain himself because he really did put that self-care regimen first which is another big pillar of millennialism which is like control what you can do the face mask you know yeah (laughs) and he really did take pride in taking care of himself 
in allowing himself to enjoy the pleasures that come with being a huge personality with all of this accumulated wealth or access to comfort and glamour and everything that he stands for, which is like, live your best life and don't let the haters get you down, <laughs> you know, just yeah. keep going and, and be fabulous, be fabulous, and enjoy the life you get and don't feel bad about it. Yeah. I think in my mind, sometimes even though I'm not an influencer, my humble self looking at Walter and these limos that he would drive around in and he has his own plane and he has all of these beautiful clothes and everything and I think to myself, I would be embarrassed, I think. There's a sense of shame for some reason that I would have access to those things and that I would enjoy them or whatever. But because he allowed himself to, I think he was able to continue being exactly who he was. He didn't let any of those barriers get in his way, you know? I think that you maybe wouldn't feel that way if you grew up in the same way that he did because I know mm. for me in my family if, if suddenly I became extremely rich and I'm like mom dad you're not driving another day I got us a helicopter <laughs> they'd be like tight good we're over this shit <laughs> because yeah. my mom's side of the family came from the countryside of Puerto Rico too and my mom is fabulous <laughs> so fabulous you met her yeah 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 she's so fabulous with her jewels and all the she really does take good care of herself. her outfits and there's just something about having a different appreciation for these things it's like truly appreciation mm -hmm. you know I, I think you could still have nice things and be humble I don't know if I mean it's like you can still be humble, but in the same way that ring was humble. I, it's not a <laughs> humble living, but I think you can still live with grace. You cannot get spoiled by those things, I suppose, if you maintain that perspective. And he did bring a lot of joy to the world, so he yeah. deserved joy yeah. himself, I think. I get that. But I do admire that about him. I hope that that's something that I could take away from him where... It's just a reminder that... For when you're a millionaire. <laughs> when we're millionaires, we got to rewatch this documentary and be like, hmm, how do we stay humble like Walter? He also just loved the beauty of jewels. That was something he loved. Yeah. I think no matter how rich you or I could ever get, we wouldn't suddenly wear jewelry. <laughs> we would... I mean, Spend who our... knows? If I had the money for that beautiful jewelry, you might <laughs> see me walking down. I just... cannot see you with that bracelet on. <laughs> Who knows? Back to the show, though. Back to the show. Walter Mercado. Oh, that rhymed in everything. A little bit. That was beautiful. Thank you. In the beginning, it was a little surprising to me to see the documentarians use actors when they were like, I would used to watch this with my family. And so they had retro settings and actors sitting in as families. But wasn't it kind of beautiful? So yeah, what I was going to get to was by the time that we actually met Walter and started to understand him and his theatricality, I'm like, it makes sense that the documentary followed that same theatrical presentation. The talking heads were beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was really beautifully shot. Usually in a documentary, you know, I'm like, whatever shot you need to get, it doesn't have to be gorgeous. 
But this one did Walter justice because these shots were gorgeous. They were beautifully lit. The backdrops for the talking heads were gorgeous. It would have been disappointing, I think, to see him not in a beautiful setting. And I don't think he would have approved. He would not have approved. I loved when he was recovering from a fall that he had where he had a fractured rib and coccyx and whatever else. And he looks over to the camera person and he's like, how's the lighting, lighter, darker? And the camera guy's like, I don't know, you look great. And he's like, what? You need to look and you need to know. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, well, you better figure it out. He kept him in check. Like, do I look fabulous or don't I? Yeah. Do we know what sign Walter was? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. Okay, um, ooh, born Wednesday, March 9th in 1932. Oh, March 9th. So then I think he's a Pisces. Yep, that's what it says. His son is Pisces, his moon is Aries, and then dominance. Would, uh, his sun sign would whatever. be based on the his birthday, one. yeah. Okay. So he's a Pisces. That makes a lot of sense too because he was such a sensitive soul and he was all about getting everyone on the same spiritual level and just sending good vibes. Hannah, tell me a little more about Pisces's Pisces. They're dreamers, much like Walter. They're dreamers? Yes. They're big daydreamers. They are mutable, which means they're very go with the flow. I think Walter even went into that at one point Mm -hmm. when he was doing his show inside of the movie. They are very sensitive creatures. They are feminine in the scale of masculine feminine signs. And he's a water sign. And... Yeah, those are the big ones. Very good. Very good. (laughs) Very good. It checks out and we can move on. (laughs) So what did you think about that little interlude with Lin-Manuel? Thank you so much for reminding me. You know, it was cool because Lin-Manuel's popping. He's popping right now. He's a Boricua and he's out there in the mainstream. There are like five of us out there. Yeah. Not that I'm in the mainstream. (laughs) We got... Walter Mercado, R.I.P. We got Lynn Manuel. We got J Lo. Mm-hmm. We got Aubrey Plaza. What? I didn't know you had Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, girl. Oh my god. Boricuas. Nice. We got what's that guy that I went to his theater show? Latin American History for Dummies or for Morons? John Leguizamo. Oh sure. Oh my gosh. That's it. Those are all of the Puerto Ricans that exist in Hollywood. A bunch of people ask me about my thoughts on Lin-Manuel because I'm probably one of the only Puerto Ricans that they know. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen Hamilton. I support, uh, you know, I'm here to support uh, people. You're here to support people just generally. Period. Yeah, I'm I'm the people supporter. (laughs) I know, but I'm like, yeah, good for him for making things and making great things. I don't want to get too into it, but I've heard some weird stuff about his family and politics. I haven't heard what things. His dad has been involved in U.S. politics and U.S.-Puerto Rico relation, and there are some weird policies out there that have been brought into Puerto Rico by the U.S. because, as you know... Puerto Rico has zero representation Mm -hmm. when it comes to American politics. Puerto Rico is essentially still a colony. To learn more, check out her documentary called Boricua. You can find it at boricuathedoc.com. Ooh, thank you for that sweet, sweet plug. I'm here for it. Anyways, yeah, there's just been some things that it's like not 
actually in the best interest for the people of the island. There are some activists and some people involved in Puerto Rican politics that are pushing for very specific legislation. And then there comes this, I would make it comparable to police reform versus police defunding, Mm -hmm. abolition. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of laws that are like, let's reform the schools in Puerto Rico. PROMESA, specifically P-R-O-M-E-S-A, which stands for something I don't remember right now. But it's just like these funds and like reallocating these funds in a way that's not actually how the people in Puerto Rico wanted the funds reallocated. It looks nice and it's packaged very nice and they have nice posters, but it's actually not in the best interest of the Puerto Rican people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Puerto Ricans and activists that I follow on social media, they're like, uh no thank you Len Manuel they're very vocal about their stance on his involvement in politics yeah because at the end of the day he's a celebrity he's not a politician and he's not an activist Mm. you can donate you can do free shows and stuff but you have to truly be involved in a community to know what's best for that community yeah it's complicated but it was great to see him in the documentary I love him, everybody. If anyone's asking, I love Lin-Manuel and I love <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta watch it before I talk shit about sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. <sighs> Sorry, Lin, if you're listening. Please watch the documentary. <laughs> I'm just a woman with opinions. Should we get back to Walter? Yeah, it, I feel like I'm leaving Walter out of this conversation. Walter probably would have loved it because he's positive. He's a positive person. But I don't want to put those words in his mouth. None of his movie was about the politics of Puerto Rico. No, it wasn't. He was only positive. And also I was thinking like, there was probably a lot of crazy shit throughout his career. There was a lot of shit going on. And he was meeting with presidents from all over the world because they wanted him to read their Mm -hmm. palms or whatever. And I'm sure he got tied up with some political shit and I'm sure people like well Walter aren't you gonna speak on this Mm. and it's probably for the best that he didn't I guess kind of like his sexuality yeah and then this is kind of going back to the Hamilton debate it's like is it good that we just have someone here kind of representing a group of people in a positive way Mm -hmm. not that he should and not that Lin-Manuel should represent all Puerto Ricans, obviously, and not that Walter Mercado should. No one should represent their nation. Yeah. No single person. And that's kind of the huge debate always. But also we can't be comparing Hamilton and Walter because Hamilton's telling a story. They're telling a false ass story. Or accurate, but leaving out a shit ton of important details. Right, right, right. And Walter's just like, You're gonna have a good day. Everything that has been troubling you is going to turn around, so just hang in there. It's going to go your way. (laughs) Someone you love is going to reach out to you. Extend an arm. Yeah, extend an arm or a leg. Is that a saying? I think it's extend a a hand or something. Give a hand. Extend a hand. I don't know. know. Extend a limb. (laughs) Give someone a piece of something. Just to kind of elaborate a little bit, the documentarians did not seem to hold him to any certain standard for a public figure. They really did focus on that he was beloved Mm -hmm. and he was a very kind and emotionally generous human. 
He was a softy. Yes. He was a softy, but he was so strong. He was a softy who was so strong and knew his angles, girl. Oh, yeah. He knew his angles. Oh, my God. That was one thing that I did want to bring up. His hands up to his face reminded me a little bit of just Jack from Will and Grace. Oh, wow. And I was just like, I wonder if that's where that came from. I don't know. Where Will and Grace got their inspiration? Yeah, I wonder if Jack McFarland was a fan of Walter Mercado. Walter Mercado. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, he talks about how his background in dance helped him create this movement because he does these soft, spiritually hand movements that are beautiful in photos. And when he's reading, you're astro- uh, you, my audio is cutting out because I'm like dancing while I'm talking. <laughs> no, but yeah, he would. He would mesmerize his viewers with his beautiful, graceful hand finger movements yeah he was a born performer and he found his audience god damn it he fulfilled his destiny more than anyone has ever fulfilled their destiny i think and i loved how he said this is heaven i'm not expecting another heaven i'm living in my heaven here and now and i thought that Mm -hmm. was really beautiful he really did appreciate the life and what his earthly existence had been and I thought that that was really beautiful I mean if we could all just find that yeah I read a lot of self-help and psychology books and stuff and lately I've been just trying to figure out if I didn't have any influence from social media or the career that I'm in if I truly am not influenced by anything what do I really want Mm. where would I thrive if I just let myself be totally guided by my own desires yeah and I think that Walter Mercado kind of inspires you to search for that within yourself I agree that was the hugest takeaway the hugest one hugest he was so 100% himself and I think that goes back to me saying he had just such a blessed life to be able to experience that because I feel that is what we're all searching for yeah to feel comfortable being 100% who we want to be for ourselves. For yourself and nobody else. Taking that and loving it and accepting it. And when people try and take it down, you don't question it. You just continue to say, all right, so they don't get it. Yeah. I think maybe that movie and Walter influenced me a little more than I thought because I just started reading The Untethered Soul. Mm -hmm. Have you read it? I haven't. I'll let you know how it goes. Just started chapter two, but you know, it's just about losing your ego and stuff. Oh, amazing. I mean, I think he had a pretty big ego. No, no, no. Like your id, your ego, the super ego. I'm talking about ego like you do mushrooms and you lose yourself. (laughs) Like that kind of ego. Maybe because he was glamorous, it seemed like he had a big ego, but I feel like he didn't care about a lot of... I don't have the words. Maybe we, as people who are trying to learn how to live a more fabulous life, we have to lose the self-awareness in order to rebuild it in the vision of what you want. Yeah, and he just did that without no mushrooms. He didn't need no mushrooms. Although, if you were on Mushrooms and you saw what he was wearing, ugh. Right? Amazing. I'm going to rewatch it. Does the Queen of England dress that fancy? No. No offense, but the Queen of England's the basic bitch compared to Walter <laughs> Mercado. She said it, everyone. She oh my god, it. the British are coming for me. Yep, you better watch out. You just said that. Okay, take it back. I take it back. 
I wonder if they met. They probably met. I wonder. I just had a beautiful vision of them checking out each other's closets. I think the Queen of England would have been shamed. Yeah. I mean, she could show him the royal jewels, but those aren't actually hers. Mm-hmm. Boy, y'all are in for a treat. I'm trying to stop saying you guys. That's nice. So I'm going to start saying y'all. Okay. <laughs> I used to say y'all casually. You're from Texas. I'm from Florida. <laughs> we can say y'all. Y'all can say y'all. Anyone can say y'all, y'all. Anyone can say y'all. So many languages have a word for y'all. For you all, for the you pluralized, Mm -hmm. and English does not. And the more that I study another language, I'm like, God, there are so many situations in which I need to say the word y'all, but I can't. (laughs) I can't say y'all. I can't say it. (laughs) I just can't say it. Gosh darn it. But y'all are in for a treat (laughs) because we have the directors of Mucho Mucho Amor, and you're going to hear them after this. early thanks for getting up for us <laughs> uh, i have to admit that i am on the east coast in miami so it is noon Ugh. and it is nice very good time for me okay good good so you've had your coffee <laughs> christina is not morning i don't know if, if you already got a heads up of that okay. yes we got a heads up and we're so happy to have you by the way thank you i'm happy to be here with you. welcome back we are here with one of the filmmakers of Mucho Mucho Amor, Kareem Tapsh. Did I say that right? You did. Woo-hoo. Yes, thank you. So good to be with y'all. Yeah, we're just going to get right into some of the questions that we've had because Hannah and I watched the movie and we absolutely loved it. A much needed film during this time and also just a beautiful film in general. My family's Puerto Rican. I knew about Walter Mercado for a while, so seeing this was very special. I guess my first question is, how did you meet Walter and how did you get that access, get that connection? Yeah, well, Christina Costantini, my co-director, and Alex Fumero, our producer, we all grew up with Walter. He was like a daily presence in our home. We don't remember a time that he wasn't there. You know, at one point he just kind of disappeared. And as adults, we were like, whatever happened to Walter Mercado? And so I'll give you the uh, abridged version. We didn't all really know each other. And we all had this idea that we wanted to make a Walter Mercado film. So Alex Fumero and I were introduced by our friend Andrew Evia, who's one of the producers of Moonlight. And Alex is originally from Miami. He was living in New York as a VP at HBO. This is in 2017. And Andrew said, you guys would get along. You should meet. And I was in New York. And we went out for lunch. And one of the first things we talked about was Walter Mercado. Tell you what kind of conversations we have where Walter Mercado is the first thing that comes up. That's so funny. I know. I wish it was like a made-up story because it would make more sense, but it is true. The conversation is kind of like, what are you up to? Or like, where are you going? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to Walter Mercado's estate sale. And that derailed the conversation and we all talked about Walter Mercado. Uh, Walter is having an estate sale in his Miami condo. And I was going, A, to be nosy, B, to hopefully buy a cape. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, you know. Right. And, man, no one's ever done a documentary on this guy, have they? You should do one. And I admitted that the other reason I was going other than nosy and cape buying was trying to contact the family to pursue a documentary idea. And Alex said, if there's anything I could do to help you, let me know. I'd love to, to be involved somehow. You're like, yes. Yes. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing. And I, I was like, oh, I'm not the only crazy person to be into this idea. <laughs> so I went to this estate sale. I don't buy a cape because it turns out I am still a poor filmmaker. 
But there's a lot of really good tchotchkes. I buy a whole bunch of tchotchkes. I have La Virgen de la Caridad that was in Walter's bedroom. is in my guest bedroom. So I did get some stuff. Wow. But I meet his niece, which is really the big guy. His niece, Danette, is a realtor and is kind of overseeing the estate sale. And I kind of give her the, the elevator pitch, you know, hey, I'm interested in this. And it's the middle of the sale. She's like, okay, yeah, it sounds interesting. And then I go back two days later, yeah. the last day when you get the real good deals. <laughs> I go back to class today and I talk to her some more. She's like, well, look, send me an email. I'll put it in front of Walter. I'll talk to my sisters. And so fast forward, Alex and I have kind of our first production call where I'm supposed to debrief him on this conversation. And half an hour before that call, Christina Costantini calls him. They had worked together at Fusion. And she says, I hear you're obsessed with Walter Mercado. So am I. I want to make a movie about him. And Alex is like, this is a little weird. You're not going to believe this. Uh, I'm already making a movie about Walter McCall with another director. Our first production calls in half an hour. But I think you guys would get along. <laughs> and why don't you join the call? And let's see what happens. And that's exactly how it happened. You know, he texted me, would you mind, is this other director, would you mind if she joins the call? I'm like, no. And she did. <laughs> I love that. We decided that Christina and I would co-direct and Alex would produce we were kind of off to the races. All we had to do was convince Walter. Wow. The stars truly aligned. No kidding. I know. It's, it's weird how easily it came together, that's it. So how long had you known you wanted to pursue this subject? Sorry if you mentioned it. I think I missed it. You know, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I couldn't tell you how long I knew. I was always fascinated by Walter. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of memories of him, and I always thought he would be an interesting character. And I think I periodically... It would look into like what was up with him. Oh my him. God. Just like, you know, on a Wednesday, what's Walter McCarthy doing? <laughs> You're just checking in on him. <laughs> as a documentary filmmaker, as a filmmaker period, you often just have to have a million ideas going. And mm-hmm. also obsess over them. And obsess <laughs> over them because the majority of them will not come to fruition. It's just the way the cards work. It has a lot of spinning plates. Most of them will drop. You have one left. So I think I thought he'd be a good idea, <laughs> but it wasn't until I heard about the estate sale that felt like it would be a, a pathway in to try to contact because Walter had pretty much disappeared. He still had his horoscope in the newspapers, but he didn't really make TV appearances other than at the end of the year, there was always like his predictions for the new year. And yeah. other than that, he wasn't really around. So it was almost impossible to track him down. The announcement of the sale was the thing that pushed me to think, oh, this could be a way to find him, a way to do something. So I couldn't tell you how long the idea had been ruminating. It was one of a, a lot of weird ideas that I had going on at once. I know that for Christina, she was wrapping up a film called Science Fair, which is really remarkable and I totally recommend it. Mm -hmm. And in editing it, her editor, who's actually our editor on uh, Mucho Mucho More, Tom Maroney, this like gay guy, grew up in like Appalachia and said, have you ever heard of Walter Mercado? And she's like, yes, I'm obsessed with him. I grew up with him. And Tom came across Walter, not speaking any Spanish in college. And then when he lived in San Francisco, he would see him on channel surfing and stop when he saw him. And that put the germ of the idea in Christina's head. So it just kind of came to us in, in this weird way. And I think, you know, we're a little destined to be the ones to make it. I love that. So yeah. such a beautiful love story of how it all came together. Truly. Also, I think it's funny that you had to literally go to his estate sale. I feel like people think that in documentary, it's like, I'm going to send an email. I'm going to set up a meeting. It's like, no, I'm going to their house and I'm going to harass the family. <laughs> not actually harass, but you know, it's <laughs> go through the window, not knock on the door. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. 
we didn't have even like representation. There wasn't a way to just send an email. We're filmmakers. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So Kareem, I'm wondering, have you worked as a co-director before? And also, what were the pros and cons of working as a co-director on this project? Yeah, I have worked as a co-director before. I'm really into collaboration. I love the energy of having somebody who's going to challenge your notions and push you. And I like a good creative fight, you know, bringing people who bring different skill sets. My first feature length doc was called, uh, is called, what's that called? Is called The Last Resort. And I co-directed that with a guy named Dennis Scholl. And I think we released that in uh, December of 2018. So I had previously co-directed a feature and then my short films before I had worked very closely with my good friend, Joey Dowd in making them. And Joey's actually one of the cinematographers on which one, which one more. I love the collaborative process. It's really great to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. I did not meet Christina in person until the day before we both met Walter. Wow. So this was very much an arranged marriage that we kind of, you know, willingly went into and then decided we were going to have a baby very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but it was great. Honestly, it was great. You know, we argued about things that we just had this conversation like a, a little bit ago. The things that we really argued about were the small things. All the big things we were on the same page about. And I really wouldn't say that we argued because there was never a time there was a heated conversation where anybody hung up on anyone or anything like that or stormed out. The disagreements were, in retrospect, very minor things in the film. All of the major things we were on the same page about. And we brought different skill sets. I work a lot with archival, which I really, really love. I, I always like to joke that I'm a good old person whisperer. Mm. <laughs> I'm basically an old person. And Christina, she's a brilliant investigative journalist, and she works a lot in verite. And so those coming together worked really well. And we both have this kind of weird, absurd sense of humor. And at the same time, all three of us, Alex included, because he's really a creative producer who's involved in the creative process at every step. We're all kind of skeptics. We None of us really are like believers in astrology or religion or anything else. So we came at it from the really same places with just maybe, you know, some different sensibilities. But I really, really enjoyed it. If I would have done it by myself or if Christina would have done it by herself, it certainly would have been a different film because I think that there's people who are not there to push one way or another or challenge different things. Yeah. And you know, we're both going to go on to be directing things on our own because at some point you're going to have to just do that. But it was really a really great process. And it was a hard film to make in many ways. So I really got lucky. Our little Three Musketeer family made it possible. <laughs> it would have been really hard to do that on our own. Oh, yeah. Mm. So I saw that you guys filmed some in Puerto Rico and you filmed some in Miami. Maybe there was another location, but that seemed to be it. What do you think was the biggest production struggle? The challenge was is that our main crew, everyone is LA based, except for myself. I live in Miami, so that's relatively easy to get to Puerto Rico. But our DP, our second camera, Christina, Alex, everyone lives in Los Angeles. Getting to Puerto Rico is a challenge. We started the project in 2017. Our first real production conversations were in August of 2017. Then a month and a half later, Hurricane Maria happened. And so that presented a lot of infrastructure challenges. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. I suffered a great deal. Walter's home took a beating. And there's a mass exodus of folks leaving San Juan and Puerto Rico, particularly a lot of creative class folks who they just worked dried up. You know, a handful stayed around and were shooting for the news outlets and stuff like that, but a lot of them left to, to the mainland. So working in Puerto Rico in that sense was a little bit of a challenge. 
The other challenge is that, you know, when we started making this film, Walter was energetic and spry and quality of life was wonderful. He was chasing his little dog around the house, up and down the steps. And I would say that about halfway through production, his health really took a sharp decline. And so when, you know, we set out to make this movie about this heroic figure, this hero of ours, we didn't realize at the same time we were going to be making a, a film about aging and the aging process. And it happened yeah. very quickly in front of our eyes. And that presented a challenge because Walter had a lot of physical discomfort and pain. He was suffering from sciatica, among other ailments. He couldn't shoot for long days. He needed breaks. And honestly, at some points, he couldn't shoot at all. Yeah. And production is expensive, particularly when you've flown over people. And we had local crews. We had a lot of local folks that we were working with, too. So you can't just stop shooting, really, without it having huge financial implications. But it presented a creative opportunity. We knew we had a cruise. You know, we're going to pay for the day regardless. So we were able to turn more inwards. And so the house was an interesting component in the film. It's almost like another character. We love Walter's house. It's Loved the, it. It's amazing. Totally. Yeah. It's kooky and weird and fun. And it really is an extension of himself. So it, those days that we weren't able to shoot is when we really focused shooting the house which is really some of our favorite cinematography in the film is the shots of the house. Yeah, those shots were beautiful. Thank you. And that came from one of the challenges of production of not having your subject available to you. It created an opportunity. Turned it into a positive. Yeah, true filmmakers rolling with those punches. (laughs) You mentioned that you weren't personally believers in astrology or psychics or the occult. Can you describe a little bit more what did draw you to Walter Mercado? And I should say, or religion. We're kind of not believers in anything. Okay. I think Hannah and I (laughs) fall in that similar boat. Okay. And there's somebody in the film who who says it perfectly. It's like, but we believe in Walter. And I think what that means is that he had this ability that through these avenues, like astrology and religion and all that, he really, what he was doing was imparting this like message of love and hope and peace and inspiration he was the world's first and most fabulous motivational speaker in many ways first and most fabulous maybe not the first but definitely the first and most fabulous but you know (laughs) definitely he gets that when you come across that as a kid in particular and you see the power that has with your family you know you're all gathered around the tv for these five minutes that are like sacred appointment viewing. You're, you're shushed into silence. And as a kid, you might not get it, but you see how much it means to your abuela or to your parents. And every day he comes in and he says, I know today is difficult, but tomorrow is going to be better. All you have to do is believe in yourself. I believe in you. You need to love everyone and allow yourself to be loved. And love is going to solve all the problems. I mean, you don't have to believe in anything but in the power of love and in the power of yourself, I think. Walter really drove that message home. And he did so looking so otherworldly. I mean, it's the first time you saw anyone that looked like that on Latino television, especially, but I would say in television period, where every day he came out as his authentic self and pushed the notions of gender and gender expression. And for me, this, you know, little gay kid growing up in Miami, it was a, a huge inspiration to see somebody. Walter, I would say Walter looked the way I felt. Yeah. And that meant a lot. I mean, I think the queer component of it was really important for me and how I connected with him. But Christina, who grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 
where there's not a huge Latino community. It really connected her with her Latino heritage and culture. It's, you know, those moments with her grandmother. And Alex, who grew up in Miami, child of Cuban exiles, I think that it just reminded him that message of like work hard that Walter always has is like, be good and work hard. Yeah. I think it spoke to all of us. It's so unlikely that a person like that would become so famous when he did and how famous he became. So yeah, all of that kind of inspired us, I'd say. Yeah. The documentary really inspired me to just not be afraid to be myself and to dig a little deeper into what that is. Like, what was I like when I was watching Walter Mercado as a kid on TV? Like, why was I so drawn to that? And how do I find that and release it? (laughs) It's awesome hearing people, despite age differences and stuff, so many people who have connected in the same way from different places from at different points in their life it's kind of like this really beautiful unifying thing that i love hearing about it it really it gets me really emotional how many people have that kind of power and influence over generations and for good yeah certainly sherilyn and i were having a discussion about these very big figures in our society these shining stars and we were talking about how we noticed that when it's people of color or of some marginalized group they are burdened with needing to be the voice of that entire group and normally they get into hot water when a certain political issue comes up and they're asked to take a stance and maybe they choose not to or whatever the situation may be and I noticed that that did not come up in this documentary and I was wondering Was that something you consciously tried to shy away from? Or was it literally just not existent for Walter Mercado? Yeah, that's a very good question. I don't know that we've actually been asked that, but thank you for that. I I think that, you know, Walter was political. Walter had his views. They certainly didn't always align with our views. And I don't think they always aligned with everybody who watched him. But... You know, I think that going in, we knew that the larger influence that Walter had and the larger role he played in our culture was this overwhelmingly positive figure that connected us and shared a message of love and that that would ultimately be his legacy. But at the end of the day, as otherworldly as Walter may have felt, he was indeed human and human beings are complicated figures who make mistakes whose mind changes about issues over time and who with the benefit of hindsight would not do the same things later in life that they had done previously. And Walter certainly a figure like that. And I think, you know, in the film, we talk a little bit about like the 1-900 psychic hotlines, which we all had lots of issues with. And I think that in retrospect, he regretted participating in. And we asked him about it and we we asked him, like people would say that this is a, a scam. And he, there's a moment where you see him kind of just stumble and he defends them and he has his point of view. I don't necessarily think if he had it all over to do it again, I don't think he would have done it all over. But there's a lot of things that just don't make in the film when you're kind of going over a very kind of clear narrative. One of the other things that is not in the film, but I think it's really important to discuss is Walter was this huge figure and is given all of this credit as being at the forefront of astrology and the occult and Santeria. But, you know, really part of the way he's able to do that, regardless of his challenges, is because of the privilege of his light skin. And that's something that's really important Mm -hmm. to be considered. These are traditions that are rooted in black and brown folk. 
And so Walter absolutely had the privilege of being a white Latino or light-skinned Latino. And it's not to say he wasn't difficult for all the other reasons. But that was something that we didn't have the opportunity to really get in in the film in a meaningful way because we were tracking the story of sexuality and gender expression, which was kind of an overarching theme in his life and which is the, the road we decided to go down. And there's always a, you know, a point where do you throw all of the information in and just to make sure that you've covered it all and then you do a disservice to whatever you're covering. And I think that we didn't, I know that we didn't want to do that. You can't go into these heavy topics and just gloss them over and yeah, they merit yeah. such interesting and important conversations. So what we hope is, is that the film, which obviously shines the light on this very large segment of his life, we hope it's going to inspire people to have other conversations about things like the privilege of being white Latino and being able to exist in this space, like our differing views. There's an interesting article in New York Times in Espanol where somebody talked about Walter, some of his political alignments, which were unfortunate in retrospect. But at the end of the day, it's a full life and it's a life well lived. And in our estimation as filmmakers, we wanted to discuss and honor and memorialize his legacy as a messenger of love. And that you did. Job well done. Yeah. What a, <laughs> wow, what a great answer. <laughs> yeah. I know we don't have that much time, but thank you so much for giving us some time in your afternoon. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to mention quickly before is this movie came out at such a crazy time. It came out in 2020. He passed away during post-production. You really got to capture his life and the event in Miami. And then this movie came out in this time of quarantine. How does that feel, releasing this movie with Netflix during a time like this? Yeah, you know, it's so weird. It's just weird. It's the best way to describe it. The movie premiered at Sundance in January, which was amazing. It's a life and career high. We finished the film and submitted our cut to Sundance on November 1st. Walter died on November 2nd. So wow. it was a lot. And then uh, we traveled back to Puerto Rico for the funeral. Alex and I were pallbearers. We were there for about a week. We got very close to Walter and his family. Wow. And then we rushed back to LA to finish editing the film and hit our Sundance deadlines. So by the time it premiered, it had just been two and a half months since Walter died. Everybody was still in mourning. His nieces, Willie, Wilma, they all came to the festival, which was really great to have them there. And then we were really fortunate to get into basically every film festival we wanted to play before the film was going to be released. And it's a source of pride because you work so hard and you never know. I mean, sometimes the odds are against you and you're never going to be able to do them all. But we got to True False Film Festival right at the beginning of uh, March. And then we were supposed to be the closing night of Miami Film Festival. And two days before that, the festival had to shut down because of COVID. So everything stopped. And we were, you know, we were super bummed out because we were so looking forward to travel with the film and connecting with folks in person who'd met Walter or who were just meeting Walter through the film. Because that's so powerful and it feels so great. But obviously all of that kind of went away. But the great thing about it is, is that Netflix always kind of was our preferred home or where we wanted the film to land. Because as Latinos, we've been so privileged to have Walter in our lives and in our culture for like 50 years. And we thought it was high time that we got to share him in a major way with the rest of the world. <laughs> and so through Netflix, Mucho Mucho Amor and Walter Stories in 190 countries and 31 languages, all available on the same day. 
So obviously there's no way to know like the, what was going to happen, but it has turned out to be this real blessing in disguise, this real light spot of sunshine, because I can't tell you how many people we've heard from that have said, this is exactly what I needed in this time. And look, I've seen this movie, Christina's seen this movie. We've seen this a lot. (laughs) Since it came out, we already watched it and we're immensely proud of it, but it also made us feel happy too. So the fact that it's not just honoring his legacy and sharing his story, but that it's imparting some joy in a time where I feel like we need it most. What a sheer privilege. I mean, how lucky are we to get to do this, right? Like, we're so fucking, pardon my friends, we're so lucky. Yeah. (laughs) And we're so lucky that it came out at this time when I think it's meaning so much to so many people. So, I mean, we're just thrilled. We're just thrilled. And if you haven't, watch it and tell everybody else to watch it too on Netflix now. Definitely. Congratulations. I was definitely one of those who was first introduced to him through this film. I did not know who he was and fell in love by the end. I was like, oh, Hannah, you are in for a surprise. (laughs) I was so excited. I do have one final question for you. Would you please share one of your favorite moments that you had with Walter? Yeah, you know, it's hard to pin it down to one moment because I have to tell you, every moment with him was a sheer joy. (laughs) As I look back and I think of one of the most, among the most memorable moments, you know, the event in Miami, which you you see in the film, that really meant a lot to me. One, because Miami is my hometown, I'm born and raised, and Walter is like royalty here. But it meant a lot because it was the first time in such a long time, in over a decade, that Walter had been with his public, with his audience in a public way and in such a large way. You know, one of the things that we didn't get into the film, the detail is there were 200 invited guests. I think his niece says that in the film, but 600 people actually showed up. And Walter was in, he was in a lot of pain at that time. He was in a lot of physical discomfort. And I remember the moment where it's time for him to go out. You know, he's going to come back from his dress green room area and make his entrance on his throne. And and there's a moment you see in the film where there's a glaze over his eyes, like his eyes change. It's really, really minute. If you pay attention to it, you can notice that his expression changes. And it's a moment where all of those physical ailments have gone away or have got received the background and he's just Walter in full force. And he comes out and the people go nuts. And all throughout that night, Everybody was so crazy and he was so excited and it meant so much for me to see the joy that he got from from realizing how loved he still was, but also the joy that everybody in that room had. People were crying, they were shaking his hands, they were telling him how much he meant to them. And so it was as meaningful for them as it was for him. And to know that that was his last event, and he died three months later. I mean, I'm so glad that he was able to have that send-off shrouded in all that love. He loved it. He loved it, and I loved seeing him love it. So I think that's my favorite memory. Oh, that's lovely. That was a beautiful moment. And I think you guys captured that really well in the film. Thank you both so much for this. I unfortunately have to run to another conversation right now. Yeah, thank you so much. Mucho, mucho amor. Go watch it, everyone. And thank you, Kareem, for talking with us today. Yes, thank you so much for your time. We loved your insights and you're a lovely person and you made a lovely documentary. Thank you. Stay safe in Miami. Will do. Abrazos. Bye. Abrazos. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. 
And stay tuned next week for part two, where we talk to the second half of the directing team of Mucho Mucho Amor, Miss Christina Costantini. Until then, take care. Bye.